0: Hello, I'm Moses. I'm Carrie. And I'm Ryan. Welcome to the MennoCast. Today on our podcast, we're talking with pastor, theologian, author, and preacher, Megan Larissa Good. We want to have a conversation about the Bible. Why is it so important? And why do we have such a hard time with it? Thanks for joining us. So, Carrie and Ryan, this is our very first episode of the Metacast Project. I'm so excited that this is coming together and that for the past, what has it been, a few years, we've been dreaming up this idea and putting things in place. And now we finally get to record this initial episode. Uh, maybe it'd be great just to uh, spend a bit of time telling people who we are and why we're doing this. Carrie, do you want to start?
1: Sure, I can start. Yeah, my name is Carrie Lane. Maybe you've figured that out. Uh, I pastor in Ottawa, Ontario, and I am an pa- associate pastor at Ottawa Mennonite Church. I've been there actually for a number of years. Um, and why have I found myself on a podcast? I still am not sure why. Um you know, sometimes an opportunity arises and you want to give it a shot. So I think the conversations we're going to have are so life-giving and I kind of want to be part of that.
0: Yeah, you know, I feel the same way. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm Moses. I am a pastor in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and I've been here for about 10 years after moving here from Ontario. Um but really love this idea of having conversation and hearing stories. And I feel like there really hasn't been a platform from the Mennonite Anabaptist tradition in Canada to do that. And so when this uh, idea came about, I I was so excited that this could be a possibility. And, And Ryan, why don't you introduce yourself
2: too? I'm Ryan Duick. Um I'm a, a pastor out here in Lethbridge, Alberta, at Lethbridge Mennonite Church. I've been here for roughly a decade, and like the two of you, I just have a you know a curiosity with what this medium could offer. Uh, a, a church that is stretched out across vast geography and uh, bewildering diversity, ideologically and every other way. Um, I think we need good tools to connect connect each other, and podcasts are a great way to to start and continue conversations. And so I'm interested to see what this will hold. I'm excited about it. And I'm, I'm grateful to be along for the ride. Yeah.
0: You know, for, for those of you who are listening, we are, as you can tell, three pastors spread out across Canada with uh, diverse uh, thinking and backgrounds and, um, and churches that we're a part of. Uh, but we believe that there are stories that are important to share and conversations that we need to have as a church, even if they are difficult conversations. Conversations about our faith and what we believe, but also about how churches work and why sometimes we get frustrated with them or, or what the actual call of Jesus is in this world. And so we are starting our pilot season. This is kind of a test run of six or seven episodes that we want to get going and, and see where this project can go. And we're very excited that you are joining us. And uh, of course, we want to share different ways that you can connect with us also later in the episode. But as we said, we are talking today about the Bible, about Scripture, the Word of God. And we all are, uh, you know, the three of us, we're pastors, we're working in churches, where we're using, touching, reading from the Bible, um, I would say almost every day. Uh, And and I'd be curious for for the both of you, you know, how do you refer to and how do you think about the Bible? How do you see it? Is it the word of God uh, or do you think of it as just good instruction or where do you kind of come from when you think about the Bible?
1: Wow, that's a big question. I mean, uh, depending where you find me on the day, it might be different for sure. I think, you know, it's this story, this narrative of what God has done in people's lives. Um, and it's important to take it like that, that these are people's interpretations of what God is doing. And it also is what God is doing, but there's so many layers. So it really is something for us to continually unpack, dig up, um, review how we're using it, what we're thinking about it. It really is a living document in the sense that it takes so much work to work with the Bible. And so... Some days I'm tired, mm-hmm. <laughs> some days I'm excited about it. And I think someone like Megan Good really is kind of a prophet in our church that helps us figure out how to use this very, very difficult gift and tool.
2: I like what you said there, Carrie, about the Bible being a difficult gift because I think it is both of those things. And I, I see that in our, in my experience as a pastor, even in my, my own experience as a, as a Christian. Um, most of our churches contain people who, um, I'm guessing run the gamut from treating the Bible like a, um, almost like a blueprint for Christian living and people who are annoyed with it and frustrated with it and would rather that I read from it less or whether we read from it less than we do, uh, which is a strange, it's a strange, uh, you know, continuum to find yourself on and to locate yourself on and to try and say something meaningful from each week. But at the end of the day, I, I, I do have a deep respect for even reverence for scripture. And I think that the question is, how do we do that in, in this context? How do we speak about the Bible in ways that are intelligible without always apologizing for it, but at the same time acknowledging that it is this difficult gift that the church has to wrestle with and that um, ultimately exists to point us to Jesus?
0: Mm. Yeah, you know that that the pointing to Jesus for me is something that I've really appreciated about the Mennonite tradition. Growing up in the Baptist tradition, you know, the Bible is the Word of God and you just take it as the Word of God. And and what I've been exposed to in Anabaptism is thinking of Jesus as the Word of God and, and Scripture kind of as the written testimony of the living Word of God. Um, and, and so I, I've really appreciated that about, uh, you know, learning that from from the Mennonite church uh, and, and feeling a little bit more free, right, to see scripture through the lens of Jesus and not always have to just take everything in scripture at face value. But of course, there are some passages that are just hard to know what to do with. I'm curious for for you guys, like, do you find that too in your reading that there are certain places in scripture that you have a hard time knowing how to deal with
1: well I think if that's not your case you're probably not reading it like let's be serious like have you read this book like there's some pretty wild wildly inappropriate things um so yeah absolutely and you know working with youth youth are always calling out those things like what's this and why that and that's rude and that's not okay and why is God angry you know um and so yeah it's something walking with daily for sure
2: I think, I think anybody anybody who tries to read the Bible with with charity and with uh, with kind of a, an openness to possibility at some point will always come to the bump up against the the reality that we are reading. It's almost like entering a different thought universe when you enter the Bible, a different cultural context, a different so many different sets of assumptions and about the way the world works, about who God is, about how God works. We're not just um, we we're, we're, we're traveling across time and space when we enter the bible's pages but at the same time like has already been said it is a living word that despite all of its embarrassments that we from our postmodern perspective kind of describe it as um it's still it has spoken to people over thousands of years it has described their own described them to themselves i mean good grief how many of us can read romans 7 without thinking this is me I, I, the good that I want to do, I can't do. And the, and the good that I don't, all the things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. I mean, this is, these are ancient words that still describe our psychology today. And so there's this, there's this mix of utterly foreign territory that we struggle to inhabit and also stuff that feels like it could have been written yesterday.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I think that's fascinating. And, and for us, of course, we work for the church, so we're biased. Um, but there are so many Christians who, who love the Bible, who find it so meaningful, yet have trouble with it. I think us as a church in North America, we're becoming more biblically illiterate. And I see that too in the work that I do in the church. And so we, we want to jump into this conversation with Megan Larissa Good, uh, who is a, uh, you know, she has a doctorate from Portland Seminary. She's a teaching pastor at Trinity Mennonite Church in Arizona, a highly sought after preacher, and of course, the author of the book, The Bible Unwrapped, Making Sense of Scripture Today. We're actually going to give away a copy of her book to one of our listeners, so stick around for details after our conversation with her. You know when we started this this podcast project, I was just blown away that she would say yes to talk to us uh, for this pilot season and uh, I, I I think that's yeah that's so amazing i know i've I've heard her preach before you know I've read her book together with people in our church. Some of you have done the same, right
2: that's right we we our church read her book uh, a, a class read it last last oh pre covid sometime um so and we really profited from it yeah.
1: yeah and I bumped into her our youth group experienced her at um, the American Mennonite Youth Convention and she was one of the main stage speakers preachers and she's just incredible like I couldn't get some of my youth out of her workshops and they weren't even meant for youth they were they're intergenerational <laughs> workshops and so you kind of know you're like this woman is on to something big right
0: yeah you know whenever I hear talk about Scripture in the Bible, you know, I think she has quite a passion in that area. I just get fired up as well, and so having this conversation with her is just is just so uh, is such a blessing. So let's get into that. And uh, one of the first questions we asked Megan uh, was like, when did you know that that uh, you were so passionate about the Bible, or when did you find that the Bible was so life giving?
3: It's funny because I feel like unlike most things in life that just sort of happen gradually, I could name a pretty specific moment where I, I feel like that happened for me. Um, I went through a pretty angsty period as a 13 year old, like a lot of 13 year old girls. <laughs> and um, during that period of time, some somebody had given me a journal and suggested that I like angst my way. through life by journaling. Um, So I I took that up briefly as a 13 year old. And and what I discovered is after a while, like just listening to my own emotions reflect back on me, it it started giving me this feeling of like indigestion. (laughs) I'm already in my own head. And now I'm just hearing more and more of how I sound. Um, And one day, I believe what happened was that my mother was cleaning out some stuff in the basement, and she stumbled on um, a few notebooks that she had kept from earlier in life, um, I think journals of her own. And she kind of flipped them open at random and read to me one entry where she was journaling about the um, verse, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And she had, you know, written in this journal just something to the effect of sometimes I take stre- strength or I, I take joy and strength rather than getting strength from joy. And I remember just like the fireworks going off in my head. Like, oh my word, like that's a really important insight. And, and look, it just came out of this this book, the scripture. Um, what if instead of just dumping my angst into a journal. What if I went to the Bible and started asking, like, what might God have to say here? And like, was able to hear a fresh voice or a fresh word. Um, So I began to take up the practice just of, you know, opening the Bible kind of at random as a 13 year old, I didn't have any grand plan, but just like opening it up and starting to read and just asking what, what God might say. And the first passage I remember really having an encounter with was Romans 5 where it talks about the journey from suffering to hope. Um, suffering produces character and character produces perseverance and perseverance produces hope. And I thought, man, if there's a, a pathway from suffering to hope, I want to know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent some time kind of reflecting on that pathway that Paul articulates in Romans. And that was really the the beginning of the great adventure for me <laughs> of discovering that there is there is such a fresh word and wisdom and truth that can reorient everything. And it, it felt like. It felt like being shut in a a closed box and then suddenly the box opens and you get this like huge breath of oxygen and um, i i think i never looked back from that experience i just um kept filling notebooks and kept listening from there
2: that's impressive as a 13 year old you were doing all that
3: that's when I started I have wow. I have quite a pile of notebooks by this point in my life, but it's it's yeah. amazing to me how little that practice has changed through mm. multiple degrees and wow. you know um, very different life situations.
2: When I was thirteen, we were looking for the r rated passages of the Bible, so you were <laughs> light years ahead of me.
3: Well, I have to tell you if you if you saw my Bible from age thirteen, I highlighted everything that I thought could be a reference to dinosaurs. So I, wa- I wasn't completely in the <laughs> spirit fear. <sphere. laughs>
0: Wait, so tell us, uh, tell us what you know about dinosaurs. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's my other great passion in life after the Bible.
0: So <laughs> cool. But is it um, uh, you know, passages like Romans five, the New Testament, the Old Testament? Where is it that you gravitate to? Uh, in terms of the stories that, that I guess uh, have sh- either shaped you or that you feel have the power to shape others. Okay, hold on. Let me just say that yeah. Jesus is saying Jesus is
3: maybe <laughs> the uh,
0: the easy way out.
3: <laughs> well, per- perhaps it'll comfort you to hear that my favorite book is Genesis. Wow. Which feels a little bit controversial to say, in a Mennonite context where people <laughs> people are all about the Gospels, and I do mm-hmm. love the Gospels. Um, but I, I'm really convinced that the whole gospel is present in Genesis. like it and you know, we only know that from retrospect when Jesus illuminates it, but that it's it's all right there in the story of of Abraham and like what it means to be in an intimate relationship with God and and to be on a journey of of transformation. And mm-hmm. so, I love just narratives in general. I like the open-ended nature of narrative, um, the way it gives you a lot of different angles to kind of enter into insight, um, which I think is very different than a lot of people think of commands first in the Bible, but far more the Bible's narrative than commands. Um, So I love engaging the Bible first as an exercise of imagination, like where, where and how is God active in the world? And how can I engage?
1: That's so neat. I'm currently leading a youth Bible study and it's only those who identify as female have showed up and we've been going through Genesis and as you can imagine a group of young women going through Genesis is very difficult. Um, It's hard to get around some of the patriarchal, some of like the male dominance that seems to appear. So what what advice would you have for 15 year old girls going through Genesis?
3: Well, I think I think it's always useful when it comes to narrative to kind of put insert yourself into story in different places. Um, you know, most most stories have multiple characters, like multiple postures or kind of eyes you can see through. And and it's really I think spiritually instructive <laughs> to like try and put put your imagination behind different sets of eyes and and ask the question like why are these people doing what they're doing? <laughs> Um, especially if if you view a person or a character as as different from you in profound ways, it's really easy to skip over the question why, and and then to miss the the kind of profound lesson that comes from untangling, um, you know, not just idealized versions of human behavior, but actual human behavior, and and the complex reasons we do the things we do and think the things we think, and and the ways that God meets us in the midst of chaos. You know, that, that fundamentally is part of why I love the Old Testament stories, is because they're such a, a mess, and yet God is so deeply engaged with them. And, you know, if God can engage those people like that, God can engage us, and we don't have to be saints and heroes to kind of be a part of that story. So I, I think that that's the entry point for me, no matter who you are.
0: Sometimes we struggle with passages that we don't know what to do with. Or we don't know if in, you know, certain contexts they need to be told in different ways. So as a as a suggestion I had there, you know, what about Noah's Ark? But maybe there's another st- story as an example you, you might want to pick at of, like, how do we deal with the passages that are maybe controversial or that we have a hard time knowing what to do with?
3: Well, I think... Um... Difficult passages really press us to um, kind of get our interpretive lens straight. And this is something that a lot of Christians historically have really neglected to talk about. Um, It's not just that we we should read the Bible, but how do you read? And as an Anabaptist Christian, part of what I believe is that we read through the lens of Jesus. Um, Jesus is the Word of God, He is the being of God fully expressed, He is the kind of hermeneutical key that unlocks. God intended meaning of everything else. Um, so if you're reading cover to cover, you're already missing, in some ways, the kind of key tool you need to interpret a lot of these passages properly. Um, that's why I like to talk to people a lot about reading backwards. You got to start with Jesus, get, get some kind of vision of, of who Jesus says God is, and then you read backwards from Jesus and, and ask what light he sheds on the story, like what, what meaning emerges Um, In the presence of Christ and his revelation of God. Um, So I think Noah's Ark is actually a really interesting example. um, Because you could ask, you know, what kind of things did Jesus teach that might be relevant to the story of Noah's Ark? Um, Well, in fact, Jesus, Noah's Ark has this big theme of sun and rain, right? Those are kind of the central metaphors of Noah's Ark. Um, Jesus talks about sun and rain, um, that God sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous and causes the sun to shine on the evil and on the good. Um, So Jesus casts a vision of of a God who is not targeting, who is not discriminating, who, who in fact loves indiscriminately. Um, so with with that vision from Jesus of the character of God, I think we can go back into Noah's Ark and ask the question, like, what purpose is this this story serving within a Jesus centric narrative where we know what the character of God is and the character of God is indiscriminate love and blessing? Um, so when I would teach on a story like this, what I would always do is, is teach then the story within narrative context. Um, in the context of Genesis, um, you know, you have a story of God creating a beautiful world and everything going bad. And it's really natural narratively to ask yourself the question, well, why doesn't God just start over? Right? Like, why not just you got a world full of humans, they all seem pretty screwed up, like pick the one good one, like there's got to be one, right? <laughs> there are a billion people out there, just pick the one good one, start over with him and, and get things going the right way this time. Um, and in fact, that's exactly the scenario Noah's Ark plays out for you. It, it kind of confronts this delusion that humans continually have that if we just get the perfect people in the right place, like the next time will be better, right? If we get the right officials in the government, if we get the right leaders in the church, if um, you know that, that somehow we're going to stumble on the the righteous master <laughs> like Noah and, and be able to start this whole thing from scratch and make it work. Um, it, it turns out Noah is the one righteous man in his generation and it still doesn't work. Right? Like the first thing he gets off the boat, and he's already getting drunk and cursing his children and messing things up. So, so in the narrative context, you get a, a kind of playing out of a, a false vision that human beings are, are continually kind of prone to believing could work. And then the next thing you get is the alternative that the story of Abraham an ordinary guy who isn't that special and isn't that righteous and doesn't have a lot going for him. Um, But he walks with God and God is willing to walk with him through all the massive screw-ups. And that's what takes you into the story of the rest of the Bible, is how does God save the world? Not through the one righteous person, but through ordinary people who walk with God and mess up. Um, So the two keys, again, are reading through Jesus and then reading in narrative context, like understanding what role a small story is playing in the big story of Scripture that leads toward Jesus.
0: Hmm, that that I think that's that's very helpful, um, and and yet there's something that we often do with uh, uh, Noah's story, for example, is, is and maybe you can diagnose what what has happened, either in the, in the church or in culture that that story has become you know, a cute children's story for us. Oh, it's got animals, two by two, and God saves the world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's happened there? Because that doesn't seem to be reading the way you describe.
3: I think we're super prone to moralizing our Bible stories. And I don't know if we get this in part from in Western cultures, like our our tradition of fairy tales, where we feel like, you know, Cinderella sweeps the floor and is selfless and serving and gets her happy ending like we feel like stories should somehow operate in a a way that lands a clean moral lesson like Noah's Ark all these terrible things happen and God keeps God's promises yay and and that's not the way that biblical narrative is designed a biblical narrative is is telling stories that have an incredible amount of ambiguity in them. An incredible amount of questions of like, where is God present? And how is God working? And and are, am I seeing clearly what I think I see? Um, I love that even in the David story, when the story is told of David taking a census that makes God mad, um, one book of the Bible says God incited David to take a census, and another book says Satan incited David to take a census. Um, well, which is it? Well, that very question is part of the wrestling scripture is doing, that it's it's not always clear, right? As we, as we search for God in history and in in our own choices and the choices of the people and leaders and, and groups around us. Um, and that's part of what we're all trying to untangle and part of what Jesus is coming to illuminate. Um, so I, I just think we have to break the grid, the fairy tale grid, like the the moralistic impulse and and really ask the question what is the great story of God like if, if that's what this book is how, how does that change our lens like furthermore like how how would you teach Noah's Ark to your children like what would how would that story unfold I always have to pause a bit with this question because I am so not an expert on teaching children <laughs> but I, w- I would probably just my, my instinct is to p- just pull the frame back starter Farther, like if you just start with the story of Noah, you don't have enough of the the context of the story to even understand what the story is. So, so I, I would start it farther back with like, like sometimes th- bad things happen in the world, and um you know people make really bad choices, and that's what God is trying to deliver us from. Um, but how how are things going to get better? Um, well, he, here's an idea. Like, what if just the people you like, the extra special good people, get together? Like, can they fix it? Uh, no, it turns out they can't, and that's why we need Jesus. You know, so so pulling the story back to an earlier start and then letting the story drive toward the need for Jesus, I think is is probably how I would go with that in a children's context.
2: Megan, I was going to ask you: um, Do you find value in the expression referring to the Bible as the Word of God, or is that too loaded by now? Is it too prone to? Setting us up for these expectations of fairy tale readings—does um, it come with too much weight attached to it? What, how how do you think about the Bible as the quote word of God?
3: Well, unfortunately, I think it's not just the use of that that's become loaded, but the non-use of it is also loaded. <laughs> so that there's in some ways no way around the freight. Mm-hmm. Um, I get—let me work backwards here. I get super kind of uncomfortable and and when I hear Christians kind of wanting to be super dismissive of that phrase and saying, no, like God just just happens to speak in this book sometimes. And my problem with that is it it gives a great deal of like power and authority to the person on the outside coming in to just be like, well, like, I don't like this, so it must not be God, (laughs) end Mm -hmm. of story. Um, And I I think all humans I know are in desperate need of a voice outside them to kind of shine the light. And um, I don't think that's a useful posture to take. Um, on the other hand, sometimes when people use the phrase word of God, they do it without including that kind of hermeneutical lens of we read through Jesus, who is the definitive word of God, who is the being of God perfectly and eternally expressed. Um, so I'm not super like leery of that phrase as long as we anchor it in the right place. And for me, the right anchor is to say Jesus is the eternal, infallible <laughs> um, word of God, like he He is God's being most perfectly and clearly expressed. Um, and the Bible is the word of God as it witnesses to Jesus, like as it as it teaches us to see the world through his imagination and in the light of him. Um, so I, I don't I don't think I think those that phrase can be useful as long as we understand what what we're saying by it. And as long as we're holding it appropriately with who we understand Jesus to be.
0: Hmm. Now like reading through um, through the lens of Jesus uh, you say is would you say that's a particularly anabaptist uh, I guess way of looking at scripture or would do are there any other i guess like Mennonite uh, Mennonite quali- not qualities Mennonite ways i guess of of looking at scripture that that you find are distinctly Mennonite um, compared to the other traditions that you've been exposed to?
3: Well, I definitely think reading through the Jesus lens is one of the, I mean, it's one of the core things that draws me to contemporary expressions of Anabaptist Christianity. Um, although I don't think we have, like, exclusive ownership of that concept. I meet lots of Christians who believe that and practice that. Um, and it's not something we invented. Like, this is what the early church believed and practiced. <laughs> if you read the, the earliest church writers, something they'll say a lot is some version of, like, the purpose of scripture is to draw you into a living encounter with Christ. Like... That it's not to give you some kind of abstract knowledge. Like it's it's designed, it's shaped in its, in its paradoxes and complexities and dark spots and light spots all to get you to Jesus. Um, so I think Anabaptists are at our best when we are when we are most consistently thinking in line with what Christians before us have said, and just kind of trying to unthink some of the distortions that that happened along the way as. Christians, for various reasons and with various motives, <laughs> tried out kind of other, other theories or approaches and hit some some dead ends. Um, the other interpretive piece that I, I, I would say is, again, not completely unique to Anabaptists, but is one of the more distinctive features, is a, is a community hermeneutic, like a recognition that the best way to read the Bible is not always just alone, <laughs> like opening opening the Bible on my knee and, and, and waiting for God to speak, but it's, it's with other people who are also opening their Bibles and listening for God, who bring um, different questions and different experiences and, and different perspectives that can help me see the things that are in my blind spot. Um, I think Anabaptists have always believed not just about the Bible, but discernment in general, that discernment is better done, more, more safely and effectively done. Um, in a community of people who can see things from multiple angles, um, because otherwise there's just too much out of each one of our views um, if if we're trying to do it alone.
0: You talked about, or we talked a bit about how we look at Scripture, and you talked about this big story. Now, from, uh, from your Twitter account, it seems like you're not that much into Twitter. Is that
3: true? <laughs> that is very true. I can't even remember. It's probably been a year since I've been on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, but if you were to distill that in your book, you have these, these, uh, one or two great chapters about, um, about this great story. Right. And, um, in our, when we read it in our book club, um, a bunch of people said, I, I've never heard the story of the Bible just described this succinctly. Um, so if you were going to do that, maybe a little longer than a Twitter post, but, uh, <laughs> maybe shorter than your chapters, what would you say? What is this big story? We know it's going to point us to Jesus, but then why not spend all our time in the gospels? Why, why worry about the whole of scripture? All
3: right. The, the Twitter version of the story of scripture. Um, I feel like I'm taking a risk saying this because I might say it differently on different days. Um, I, I think condensing, condensing in some ways forces you to find a master metaphor and just go with it. <laughs> um, but I think what I would be likely to say right now is that the Bible is the story of, of God creating free creatures who are grown up in the image of God. Um, so that they can engage in, in union in joyful relationship with God and can be partners in the blessing and flourishing of creation. Um, that to me is the big picture story that that Jesus and his incarnation becomes a part of. Um, and I think it, it's become important to me to narrate it that way in part because it, it helps me really make sense of what we're seeing in reality. <laughs> like why why would God give humans so much freedom that we can screw things up as badly as we do? You, you look around the world and you just think like, what, what, what on earth is God thinking? Like, why, why allow for this kind of madness? Um, and, and I think there is, a, there is a crucial, really difficult answer to that question in the Bible, which is God is super committed to this idea of, of free creatures grown up in the image of God. Like That was the project set out in Genesis. That's the project God is still embarking on with long suffering and with great patience. Um, and, and the goal, the end goal of that, that project of humans grown in the image of God is, is our joy filled relationship with God, like our union of God and each other. And it is the flourishing of everything. Like that's, that's where that maturity leads. Um, so I, I think what we have in the rest of scripture is like the, the long winding story of, of the fits and starts of the journey of how we, how we get there and, um, I heard, I heard about a year or two ago a lecture from an Eastern Orthodox priest, which um, I don't know if, if you all have much exposure to Eastern Orthodoxy, but sometimes I find there's incredible insights in that tradition in part because it's developed quite apart from Catholic and Protestant Christianity. And so sometimes they have insights that are outside the boxes we get stuck in. And one of the things this priest had said in reading the um, crucifixion story of Jesus that when Jesus cries on the cross, it is finished. Um, what does he mean, what's finished? And this priest said, well, in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, what's finished is the creation of the first true human. Hmm. That that Jesus in in offering himself fully and surrender to God, like it, as our representative is, is the first human to achieve true humanity and <laughs> to become humanity fully in God's image as we were meant to be. And that's the journey the rest of us are on, right? That's what creation is groaning for and yearning for is, is for us to grow up into that image. Um, but we can't say it's finished yet. And that's, that's the drama of the story.
2: Hmm. That's I'm a fascinating c- interpretation. Yeah. Go ahead, Carrie.
1: Sorry. I'm curious, like where in your ministry in your life are you seeing
3: some of this flourishing? some of this flourishing in the world. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that has been most heartening for me during this period of COVID in my own community, um, I have seen people step up with the most like mind-blowing generosity, like both both in their finances but also in their relational and emotional support. Um, you know that this this period of time has hit people people who are vulnerable in various ways, um, particularly hard. And, and some of the situations that, you know, I'm seeing unfold in my own kind of surroundings and community are just, you know, they just break your heart. Like they're so, they're so difficult. And out of, out of the shadows, I keep hearing story after story and finding trail after trail of people just expressing love in the most like extraordinary ways like unspoken out of sight unprompted and like you know you just happen to stumble upon the rabbit trail every once in a while and you're like wait this was going on um so that has been I think one of the most encouraging things for me in pastoral ministry in recent years is is seeing that even in the absence of a lot of kind of direct contact that we would normally have that people are people are living out a (laughs) God-loving, neighbor-caring, <laughs> Jesus-centric faith, um, and I, yeah, I'm really, I'm really heartened by that. Mm.
1: I love that, like the rabbit trails of, yeah, people within the church. It's such a good description.
2: Yeah, I was just going to ask M- Megan, um, like our, we we have a group in our church that read your book earlier this year as well, and we and we thoroughly enjoyed it and learned lots from it. And one of the things I consistently heard from people throughout our study of the book was. Um, there was this appreciation for your, your humor and your irreverence at times. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I wonder, um, is that like, a, do you preach the way that you write? Um, is that a model for engaging scripture in a community that can kind of bridge um, some, some of the, 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 wide, the wide diversity of people that are listening to you? Is that, or is that just kind of natural?
3: You know, sometimes I feel like I'm the person who is least able to tell you if if I preach the way I write, since I don't listen to myself much. Um, a number of people from my church told me this sounds just like you, which I, I take it as a <laughs> is their way of telling me that I, I sound verbally what I sound like on paper. <laughs> um, but I think I in this book, I was more intentional than I even am on a regular basis of just asking myself the question, um, you know, I wrote the book thinking a lot of people I know are needing a fresh start with scripture but I I feel like the best thing for me would be to aim at a 18 year old and then assume if I can communicate in a way that they won't fall asleep everybody else will be okay Mm -hmm. so so part of the you know part of what I was really deliberately thinking about as I as I wrote and thought about humor and metaphor and cultural reference is just how do you how do you frame a timeless word (laughs) in ways that make it accessible and palatable um, to to someone who is perhaps brand new to the conversation and um, less religious in their their jargon or their custom. Um, so sometimes I've had I've had people in their 80s say, "Megan, I don't understand your jokes at all, uh, but I I really was helped by the story." So <laughs> sometimes I apparently was more successful than other times, but
0: as someone who's who's heard a few of your sermons, I, I would attest to that that uh, it you, you write very similar to how you speak, and that is uh, <laughs> is very refreshing, um, and and I think from from all this already you know like we can we can tell how much you're you are steeped in scripture, and, and how much you love it, um, and, and and yet. And you write this book, right, like you say, for people who maybe need a bit of a fresh start with Scripture. And I know for me, I won't speak for uh, Carrie or um, Ryan's churches, but for, for my church, I know uh, without naming specific names <laughs> that a lot of us are kind of, I wouldn't say done with Scripture, but it seems to be more and more irrelevant. Um, and, and And the biblical literacy just seems to be way down. And for me, that's a problem for like for me, for others, it might not be right. But um, even in, in in when I preach, I, I'm thinking to myself, all the references that we make to other stories in scripture, what if people don't know that? And then they miss the whole point completely. And so maybe can you again, diagnose for us, like what's going on? Why is it really true that we are? becoming more biblically illiterate. And why is that?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, my doctoral dissertation was on the authority of scripture and, and its relationship to Christian authority generally. And I, I did a lot of research on biblical literacy during that time. And I don't think that there's any question really that we're becoming more biblically illiterate <laughs> like that. Just, that's a documented fact. Um, the, the question of why, and the question of like, what should we think about that? I think are both more complicated. Um. And I I think I would just make a couple observations. Um one, I don't think there's spiritual virtue in being a Bible trivia nerd. Right? So so I don't want people sometimes when we get in these biblical literacy conversations, I don't want people to like misconstrue what we're talking about. Like whether you can kind of name name the judges in order um is not, you know, that's a that's a cool party trick, not really. No one will be that impressed. <laughs> but like that's not what we're talking about. Um, what I think is really deeply problematic that needs more attention is that I regularly have people come into my office who are super like angry and angsty and have very strong feelings about, you know, they're, they're pounding their fist. Like, this is what Jesus wants. This is what Jesus wants for the world, for the country, for the community. And when I ask them, like, where did you get that from Jesus? <laughs> like what, um, you know, what? what I'm not saying that in a starkey way. I'm just like genuinely asking, um, where do you see that? Where is that coming from? Um, and it turns out they actually know nothing about Jesus's actual teachings or actions, or, um, so so Jesus has become an idea. Like he's he's authoritative, right? Like he he holds some kind of theoretical authority, but he's functioning as an empty vessel into which I can pour my assumptions and my worldview, and then feel justified in my outrage. Um, and I find that extremely alarming, <laughs> you know, um, if if we're going to attach Jesus's names to things, you know, we we need to know Jesus, um, not Jesus as a construct of our, of our just imagination or fantasy or our, our own cultural ideals, um, but a Jesus who will upset us because he upsets everyone, right? Like, if you've never been upset by a teaching of Jesus, like, I would say go spend some more time in the Gospels, right? Like... Jesus upsets me sometimes. like there are things he say, says that I wish he didn't say that I'm like really wrestling with and and that's how I know I'm engaging a living Lord and not an idol. Um, so so I think my, my great c- cry in the new b- biblical literacy is like, never mind the trivia. like let's begin by making sure we we know what we're talking about when we say the name of Jesus that 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 name that that vision is is anchored in in the concrete history of someone who lived and spoke and acted and and had had real relationships and investments and um yeah if if we can if we can start from there <laughs> um i i think we'll be in a position to have much more significant conversations with ourselves and others than than what sometimes happens which is just kind of a a flinging of, of personal ideas against each other with, with no ruler to, to arbitrate from. Right.
0: So, so then how can we start? Cause I mean, the easy answer is to tell everyone, yeah, just go read Megan's book and uh, <laughs> you'll, get, you'll get fired up. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we in, in pastoral ministry, um, have this ongoing relationship with our community where we are trying to instill I I mean I guess for us too personally we too are wrestling with these texts and are trying to bring um a a church body that is busy uh that's got so many distractions (laughs) uh, and, and so many other things going on like where do we start to kind of start to um yeah be able to instill a love for scripture that is more than just trivia?
3: Yeah. Well, I I think a a couple of things. Um, One, I I think we need to get out of the mindset. um, We North Americans in particular are such like outcomes oriented people, like super efficiency production minded. (laughs) And we need to get out of the mindset when we come to the Bible that like, we need to get something out of it to be worthwhile. Um I I can't remember what the number is like the number of advertisements that an average person sees in a day it, it's in the thousands right like just going through the world we're told in the course of a day 10,000 different stories about like what the truth is and how the world is shaped and what we should value and what's important um and when we come to scripture we're being we're allowing ourselves to be shaped by a kind of counter narrative um into a into a whole different world view um and and that idea of having your your imagination reshaped for a God-shaped, a God-shaped imagination, um, it's not something that for it to be effective you have to feel like it's working every moment. It's not something where like when you walk away from engaging with scripture you have to be like, aha, here's the the grand insight I had and here's exactly what it means. Um, it's in its kind of first first form, I might say. It's um, beginning to just reshape your vision, like clean your eyes to, to see things differently. And and it's doing that work, that work of vision and imagination, like whether you can always point at the end of the day to what you got out of reading or not. Um, so I think part of that is just shifting our mindset going in and and laying down the the idol of efficiency and productivity and saying like, like I am a rock putting myself underwater and I am here to be shaped drip by drip. And and the hardest work is just showing up for it, like just just letting letting the water fall. Um but another another tip I would give to people is use the Bible as a diving board into conversation. Um and, and this is this is one of the things that I really take from the early church when You know, the the early Christian thinkers would not just say that the Bible, the purpose of the Bible is to point us to Jesus. They would say the purpose of the Bible is to lead us into a living encounter with Jesus. Um, And I think the Bible at its most transformative for me is when I begin with a story and I'm I'm exploring a passage or a story and I'm turning it around and I'm kind of looking for what what gem may be there. Um, But that eventually becomes a kind of launching pad, a diving board into a conversation with Christ. Um, And and that movement from, like, the abstraction of the idea into the living relationship and the living conversation, to me, is the critical movement. Um, And it's a movement you can make whether you, you have a grand epiphany or whether you're like, I hated this story and I have no idea what it means. Great have a conversation about it (laughs) right like even even if you're completely perplexed even if it rubbed you wrong and a hair standing up on your neck like the bible can still fulfill its function in in driving you deeper into this relationship if you allow it to become that springboard into that that spiritual conversation with the risen christ through the spirit and and that's part of its purpose um origin the Church Father Origen talks about um, when he discusses some of the, the difficult passages of the Old Testament and the violence of the Old Testament. He, said, he basically says some version of like, the reason this is so complicated is that it, it drives us into the arms of Christ to figure it out, <laughs> right? So that, that's his way of, of saying um, even, even the problem itself can, can become a gift and a good if it, if it drives us to the one that we are made for union with to begin with. So so let, letting the Bible serve that relational goal I think is key.
0: Was there anything else Megan that that you wanted to mention, say touch on?
3: Um so I guess one thing I'll just throw out there cuz this is a question I get a lot a lot of people ask me where they should start reading um the Bible and one of the things I would suggest to people if if they're scrub- struggling with scripture um like start with the gospels and then expand your way out. You know, read, start with reading the Gospels if you haven't read it before, and then I, I find it's helpful for a lot of people to take a kind of alternating rhythm of like, read an Old Testament book and then read a Gospel again, <laughs> and read a book of Paul and then read a Gospel again. Um, because part of what that, again, that rhythm is teaching you to do is it's reminding you we read everything through Jesus. So, so we, we have these encounters with Jesus over and over, and then we take that encounter and we loop in another part of the story, um, and then we bring that back to Jesus and reintegrate it again. And I think just in terms of like being formed for a Jesus-shaped lens, that can be a really kind of helpful way to go about a, a reading rhythm. Mm,
2: that's good. I like that. Uh,
0: yeah. On behalf of all three of us, we just want to say thank you so much for taking the time uh, to be not only in your in your own ministry or resource to your people, but you are expanding that that stretch to include anyone who's reading your book, or or uh, even all of us here in Canada. <laughs> So so it's awesome. Uh, and, and thank you so much for being with us.
3: My pleasure. Great to talk to you guys.
0: Man, what what a pleasure to talk with Megan. I, I really appreciated that that chance to sit down with her and talk about scripture, something she's so passionate about. For any of you who want to connect more with Megan, you could visit her website at MeganLarissaGood.com or you can also find her on Facebook. Uh, the book that we've been talking about with her is called The Bible Unwrapped, Making Sense of Scripture Today. This book was put out by Herald Press, which is the publishing arm of Menomedia. And if you're looking for some great uh, Anabaptist Mennonite resources for yourself or for your church, I invite you to go to menomedia.org and they've got so much great stuff that they're constantly putting out. But we want to just take a moment to give away a copy of Megan's book, thanks to Harold Press and the Common Word Bookstore and Resource Centre. Now, both of you know Common Word quite well, right? The physical location is on the Canadian Mennonite University campus in Winnipeg, Manitoba. But their online presence is so extensive and, and The people who work there are always so willing to help find resources for you or for your church. Uh, So we would really just love for you to check them out at commonword.ca. Now here's the cool part. If you are a member of Mennonite Church Canada, uh, Canadian Mennonite University, or even the Manitoba Conference of Mennonite Brethren Churches, you can borrow uh, books from Common Word at no cost. You just go on their website, you check it out, see what book you want to borrow. They will mail it to you uh, and and you can mail it back at no cost to you. I mean, that's such a, a great resource for, for, um, for pastors and for churches uh, and invite you to check that out. You can also subscribe to the Common Word Curator, which is a newsletter that they put out bi-weekly to update you about promotions and sales and feature products and and all of that. And so uh, go to commonword.ca and you can find um, all that information and more. So thanks again to Common Word and Herald Press for co-sponsoring this book giveaway. If you are a listener to the show, and if you like our Facebook page, so on Facebook at the Manocast, check us out, like it, and we're going to put all the people who like our page, uh, of course, if you're a resident of Canada, into a draw, and we're going to pick someone to win a copy of this book, and Common Word is going to ship that to you. So invite you to check us out on Facebook, like our page, and you'll automatically be entered into that draw. So you know, after that conversation, I, I'm just curious from you, Carrie and Ryan, like, w- was there something specific that really stood out to you? I know there was so much that we talked about, but but uh, I, yeah, I was curious what, what you came away with from that conversation.
1: Yeah, I think Megan is able to address some timeless questions. And although it's not like a neat answer that, you know, now we don't have to ask that question anymore. I think it gives more food for thought, which helps us along the way. I really appreciated her comment about, you know, we're always asking like, why would God create humanity with so much free will that we screw everything up and we make these huge colossal, colossal mistakes. And I just love her response that God is committed to this project that God started that they have made humans in god's image, and they are committed to the free will so that they may willingly enter into a joyful relationship with god and that's something that makes me pause and ponder and I look forward to pause and pondering that more that why? like how is God committed to this project of, of humanity it's, it's so strange and wonderful do you,
0: do you think then that do you think then that the Bible is kind of like uh the book that tells the story of that project like could that kind of go together those two ideas
1: yeah absolutely i mean it's the beginning of the project right and it's one lens and one part of the project and one perspective of the project because clearly there was more going on you know at that time and that place and with those people um and then it's continued all the way to us which is kind of neat
0: yeah i don't know how that makes you feel when we see the kind of stuff that happens in our world you know that makes me doubt like God was that a good decision to give everybody free will like why, why are you so committed to this plan of, of having people freely choose to be in relationship with you I don't know that, yeah, that's I guess a tough that... question
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean you'll read the you read the news and right away you're like okay so maybe like a little less free will could have been a thing <laughs>
2: And yet at the same time it's it's actually it, it can be a source of liberation too. I mean, when we read um, you know, if if we actually read the Bible instead of just talk about the Bible, you, you, you quite quickly come to realize that, that the Bible's full of a whole bunch of very mixed up and screwed up people doing all kinds of awful things and um, it's never been this night nice, nice neat narrative of holiness. Um, and and this is our world and this is ourselves, right? I mean we are we are mixed up, screwed up people too and and so, you know, on the one hand yeah, it's it, it, it's easy to think. I have thought it many times. Man, you could have, could have given us a bit less freedom to mess things up so terribly. Um, but <laughs> here, here you have a, a book that is revered around the world by Christians across time and space. And, and it's full of all the ugliness and beauty of humanity trying to make their way towards God and God reaching towards humanity. And so it's a, it can be a source of liberation and freedom, too, I think.
0: Yeah, for sure, Ryan. And w- was there anything else for you that stood out? From the from our conversation,
2: I, I was just struck by her her posture towards scripture. I mean, she she exhibits such a, I guess I might call it like a reverent curiosity towards scripture. She she combines those two beautifully in in a way that I, I, I think is 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 worth emulating in many ways. Um, I think that it, it can be really fashionable in some circles to just defend 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 the Bible, and I've I've seen a bit of that, and it can be really. Fashionable in other circles to just deconstruct, deconstruct the Bible, and show how terrible it is. And curiosity kind of lifts our gaze above those two kind of easy responses, um, and it, and, it, and it forces us to to be hit, to to approach this text with a bit more, um, a bit more self-awareness, a bit more with our hands a bit more open and our hearts a bit more open, and uh, being open to being changed by what we, what we find there. And I think Megan. Both in her book and in her in this interview, she she models that well for us. I think.
0: Ryan, I think that's a an excellent point, um, and and I'm curious just how you find it in your own experiences. I think that kind of posture is actually appreciated more and more. Uh, when pastors exhibit it. You know, I used to think that pastors had to know everything or have the answers to everything or never question or feel uncomfortable with Scripture because it's the Word of God and you don't mess with it. But I find in in my own experience, at least, being vulnerable and having that curiosity posture is appreciated by people who are kind of feeling the same thing in their own walk, and their own reading of Scripture. I don't know if you found that too.
2: Absolutely. I mean, without question, if I... If I approach the Bible um, as as a kind of um, you know like I said earlier a blueprint for holy living, and I just kind of methodically grind through the passage, exegeting each verse and proving how why why it's good and and worth worth listening to, I can almost watch people tune out. And I've only done that a few times, so I, I don't. I almost always try to try to at least gesture towards some of the difficulties of any text that I'm reading. And I almost always try to bring the Bible in after identifying some some shared human experience that we can, that most of us can resonate with, whether it's in the broader culture or in in, in the news of the day or in our own experience in, in our community. Um, uh, so I, th- I think maybe the days of, I don't know what kind of preaching you two grew up with, but I grew up with exegetical preaching, where you took a yeah. passage of scripture and you just kind of churned through it and you explained what yeah. it meant and you figured that you had done your job. And I, I can't stand that kind of preaching personally, and I don't do it because and, and I, I think it, it, it treats the Bible as something that it's not. I think the Bible, we have to allow the Bible to tell our story, and we also have to be able to encounter a word from outside of our own experience at the same time. Those things seem contradictory, but I think both of them can and must happen um, in, in the Christian life and certainly in, in the life of preaching and listening to preaching.
0: Yeah. Carrie, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the youth uh, and young people you work with love exegetical preaching.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. They love to be told what to do and that you have <laughs> the answers. That's exactly how I preach. People love it. Uh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> hopefully, obviously not. Um, I think sometimes people want to hear the question they're already thinking about come from the pulpit, right? So the scriptures read in the worship service and then right away they're like, ping, 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 what the heck? what's going on there? And then when they hear that come from you in the pulpit, I think that's when people really engage and that's when it becomes meaningful. And it's not that I can answer their question, but I can explore, like, maybe this is a possible way of thinking about it or this is a way through it or this is a theologian who thinks about it this way, kind of presenting kind of options to mull over, I think.
2: Yeah, I think for me, it's, I mean, engaging the Bible is kind of a lifelong task it's not something that we probably ever really arrive at kind of a final um, th- now I got it. Now 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 I've got the, the 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 method down. I don't think that's how it works. I think we're always um, we're always growing and learning you know sometimes we might even regress progress um, in, in how we approach this book. Um, but I, I I really do think that there's value in having this this word from outside. This this word from outside of our own experience, that can unsettle us and provoke us and tick us off, and um, you know, at, at times transport us to to heights that we didn't imagine were possible. Uh, depending on what's happening in our lives at any given moment, and trying to convey that to people in our in our churches and in conversations and coffee shops with with neighbors or whatever, um, you know, if, if if we don't at least maintain an openness towards. Um, that word from the outside, I think we're really in danger of of kind of shrinking God down to the size of our experience. And there's value, huge value in, in, in using our experience as a window into scripture, but I don't think it, it should constrain it. Um, and so I think that, yeah, I read the Bible sometimes, even I preach from the Bible sometimes and I read a passage for the week and I'm like, oh, gross, I don't wanna preach on that, that's terrible. Uh, but I, I almost inevitably find value in, in, in the struggle.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Carrie. I think those are really great thoughts. And we really hope for you who are listening that this conversation and and the conversation with Megan Good has been helpful in in maybe giving some insight into how we read and use and study uh, and speak about the Bible. So we want to thank you so much for listening to The MenoCast. You can find us at themenocast.com. Listen to episodes on our website or subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review if you like what you heard. And join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The MenoCast. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions. You can contact us through our website or at themennocast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Nick Duick for creating our music and our advisory group for guiding us along the way. We would like to thank Common Word for partnering with us to give away awesome resources and Mennonite Church Eastern Canada for providing us with a seed grant to get this project going. Lastly, I want to thank my co-hosts, Carrie Lane and Ryan Duick for making this dream a reality. I'm Moses Falco. Until next time.